Thank y'all so much for coming. Is everybody okay? I know that's a trick question. It's a formality. I know that. But it, it, it's, it's an extension of me at least trying to care into the limited capacity we have right now in this moment, right? Because I do care. If you have kids and you want to send them back, we have some great people back there that will take care of them. If you want to keep them with you, yourself, you can do that. Um, I want to remind you guys, the next two Sundays, we are not having Sunday morning service, okay? Um, it's too complicated with family and Christmas and New Year's and all that stuff. Um, I've said this before, but every year we've ever tried to hold services over this type of, 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 of deal, it just like nobody shows up. <laughs> and so we just want to give you that time to be with your family, uh, even though that we also know that, that we're your family as well, which is why we will continue to have most of our midweek services, right? So we have Monday night home group. If you want to come to that, it's here. Um, eventually, we're going to try to get it back in the homes. Um, Tuesday night, um, we're going to be having prayer here at 6 o'clock. Um, and then, uh, what's Wednesday? Bible study, men's Bible study. Uh, Tyler, is that, where's Tyler? He, he left. Tyler's house? Okay. Um, Thursday, uh, we have, I don't think we're having home group in Compton, but I don't know, are you guys doing yabs? Maybe. Okay. We will have things throughout the week for the next couple of weeks for you guys to be a part of. I encourage you to do that. That's the point, because if you get off by yourself to your own head and your own opinion, many times that doesn't work very well for any of us, right? We need each other. And so Jesus never called just one disciple. He forced people into community. I know your opinion is valuable to you. I know that, and I'll try not to step on it too much. But God doesn't care about your opinion. He doesn't care about my opinion. He cares about his son being birthed and formed in us. That's what he cares about. And if your theology makes you stiff-necked, stubborn, and rebellious, then I don't want your version of Christianity. Because I've met a lot of religious people in my life. I've grown up in it, and I grew up in church. I, and I, as a young kid, saw through all the junk that people put on the face, and, and it just made me sick to the rest of my stomach. It's, it's funny, because you don't have to be born again to have discernment. Some people are just born with it. It's a gift. Right? God gives gifts to heathens and to non-heathens and Christians. And, and when you have the spirit of discernment, even when you're in the world, yeah, it may come across as a critical spirit, but many times they're not wrong. <laughs> you get that? It's like, it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying, how you're saying it, and the attitude in which you're saying it's totally from hell, but technically you're not wrong. You know what I mean? So we don't want to be that way. We want to give life. Amen. So we're going through Ephesians 5. This is your first time here. Um, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, before I get started, I just, I don't ever, I forget about this. I, guys, I am the worst person. Maybe that's a good thing at self-promotion. I hate it. I don't want anything to do with it. People tell me all the line, you need, you need to put your stuff out there. You need to do this. And I just don't, I can't ever bring myself to do it. But I felt like this morning, I just wanted to pass out a few books um, to anybody who wanted one for free. If you have ever dealt with failure in the past or present um, or that, that type of, of understanding that you don't feel like you're ever good enough, um, then I, I want to give some of these away this morning. This is a book that the Lord had me write, and I've got a couple others in queue that I haven't finished yet. Um, so uh, are you guys fairly close together? Like, are y'all, do y'all know each other? No? Okay. Um, 
Okay. All right. Anybody else? If there's no... Yep. All right. Well, you can get one from back over there. How's that sound? Um, so that, that's, a, it's, that's a book I wrote, and it's, it's real personal to me because it, it outlines the journey from, like, almost when I was a kid all the way up to following God and how religion basically just crucified me and how it left me with an understanding of Father that was not right. And, um, um, yeah, religion kills people. And it makes you. It always makes you feel like you never are good enough, right? Now I, I get. See, see, the thing is, is that we really need to get people saved. <laughs> uh, let me just say this: because God's touched you at one time in the past, doesn't mean you're born again. God touches people all the time because he's trying to get them to come to his heart. But that doesn't mean they submitted to the touches he's given. So I equate it to, to, to God, and, I, and forgive me if you theologically are offended by this, but I, I equate it to in our pre-saved state, God's almost dating us. He's trying to get us to come to him. He's asking us out. He's like, hey, and he comes and has these encounters with us, and, and we like the encounter, we like the date. We like the times where he touches our heart, but we've never said yes to his proposal. We've never given our life over to say, I'm taking your identity and your name until death do us part. I submit to you as the wife, the bride, and what you say goes for the rest of my life, whether I like it or not. See, that's salvation. Because you're not saved by an experience, you're saved from yourself. Does that make sense? See, I know people who've never had an experience at all, but they're born again. Like, they felt nothing. They just decided, I'm a rebel, and I need Jesus. And they got saved, and they accepted him. And they're the most solid people I've ever seen in my life. And I see other people who've been emotionally touched at the altar, weeping, crying, belly snotting, like all kinds of stuff. And then every week they're back into drugs or alcohol or sex or sin or something like that that's outside of marriage. And they have to have it over and over and over again. But you can't convince them they're not saved because of an experience they had. Hmm. See, when you do this for a little while, you see a lot of stuff. I... I don't care how many experiences you had. I care about the life of God that's able to come out of you, the fruit of your life. I care about you being married to Jesus. Sometimes in your life, your theology, my theology is the thing that keeps us in the way the most. Because even demons have proper theology. I mean, they believe and they tremble but their character's terrible. Amen? So, Ephesians chapter 5, part 2, we're going verse by verse. I need to go quickly this morning, which is going to be very rough. My goal today is to get down to the marriage part and stop. That way, when we come back, we can focus on the stuff that really matters. Because that's a good segue, right? Because a lot of people have good theology, but they have terrible marriages. <laughs> You know, you know how many people I had that come to me and argue me the theological stuff and they've been divorced twice already? It's like, what do you, 
do you really want me to buy what you're saying? You couldn't even keep your own marriage together. Like, I don't, I don't want what you have. Like, see, I know what it's like to grow up in a divorced home. It's terrible as a kid. So don't give me that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we want life. Ask any child who's ever went through that how awesome of an experience that was. And ask any child how actually happy they are with you having moved on and found someone else. You learn to love people, but you know it's not God's design. Does that make sense? Divorce is wrong. It's wrong. I'll never move off of that. Because it's in the Bible, and God hates it. You with me? So we'll touch on that. Some of y'all are like, I ain't coming back. Well, that's okay. It's all right. See, it's okay. Like if you if you if you're if you've been divorced and you've moved on and you're forgiven, don't do it again. You're done. Okay? You're done. You don't get another one. All right. We're gonna start in verse uh, two because we got we did verse one. We did an entire service on verse one last week, right? So here's Paul. We're, we're, we're climaxing up to the point where God is, is about to teach people how to war spiritually in chapter 6. But we understand from the teachings we've received so far that it takes us living one through five and a half to be able to get to the authority of chapter 6. Have, have, listen, I'm not, I'm, you remember things, we remember things that are repeated over and over again. The one-liners that make people go, wow, I never thought about that, you'll, you'll forget it. But the stuff that I say over and over and over again, you will remember, okay? It ta- it, there's a way that we must live before we can encounter spiritual power and actually make them submit. If you don't live that way, you can command demons all you want and you, chaos will still run your life because they recognize what is theirs and they wonder why it's in your life. See, we've made a deal with the devil so we can offset conviction, in a sense, by saying that we can be involved with certain sins and still be a Christian. So the question of the age is this. How much of the world can I be like and still be saved? How close can I get and still please God? Let me ask you this. If you're married, how much can you flirt with another woman and still be, have a good marriage? How much can you flirt with another man and have a happy husband? See, my Bible says that God is jealous over us. Like, he really loves you. Like, it's a jealousy. It's a fire inside of him. That he can't stand it when we're toying with other lovers. Because he loves us so much. So, Paul's trying to get us to understand what it means to live a godly life. Here's why I said we need to be born again. Because much of church culture is teaching discipleship-based theology to people who aren't born again. What I mean by that is this. We are teaching people who have never submitted their life to God but have had a lot of experiences in God how to be disciples, but they're not actually saved. So when you do that, the teachings of Scripture start to look like legalism. 
to them because they're not born again. Because people who are born again don't see the rules as legalism, they see them as life. They don't see it as a stay out sign, they see it as a guardrail of safety. Because they understand that sin is death, period. And any admonition from scripture that says stay away from these things is not legality, it's an idea that says, this is going to help you in your life. Because in the innate nature, we know certain things are wrong, even in the Adamic nature. It's so weird to me that this culture is so sexualized, yet even in the younger generations who don't even know anything about God, these Gen Zs and millennials, they don't know anything about God. And they're so hypersexualized. However, when someone cheats on them, they're devastated. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? Like if it's, why is it wrong for you to go do that, but somebody else can't do that to you? Does that make sense? So even in, in our human state, we know that certain things are painful, they're wrong, and they hurt people. Right? Has that ever happened to you? Has you ever been cheated on? How'd that make you feel? Yet with God, we cheat on him all the time. So Paul goes into this idea of how to live. But he's talking to, or he's supposed to be talking to actual believers, not people who have had experiences, but don't want the rules. What they really want, modern Christianity, modern Christianity wants this. They want the cow without having to buy the milk. Or they want the milk without having to buy the cow. That's what they want. They want God and the emotion and the feel good, but they don't want any of the rules and the restrictions. None of it. They just want God to be gracious and peaceful, and then I do whatever I want, and then I come back to you whenever I need you. Now, that's an aspirin bottle. It's not God. But that's how people view God most of the time. They're not desperate for him until they're in pain. And then they wonder why pain comes to their life. Guys, let me tell you something. Some of you, forgive me for saying this, but for some of you, your relationship with God is the deepest it's ever been when you're in pain because that's the only time you can get your attention. That's hard that God will allow things to happen in your life because that's the only time you actually begin to look up. And like, why'd you let this happen to me? Because you're on a road to hell. And if you don't turn around, he's gonna lose you forever. And a good father will allow something temporarily bad to happen in order to eternally gain you forever. A good father would do that. Listen, God doesn't gentle parent. The Bible says he rebukes and chastens those he loves. We just want him to be a toothless grandpa. No, he's a judge. And he will judge us. I will get it worse than you will. Which is why I'm so aggressive behind the pulpit. Because... I fear him. I don't fear your opinion. I don't fear, I don't fear man's opinion. 
I've had lots of people stay and lots of people leave. I bless you if you want to go, but it's not going to change my trajectory in my life. I fear God because you're his children. And I have got to get to a place in my life where on your judgment day, you do not walk up to me and stick your finger in my face and say, you never told me. That in Jesus' name will not happen. So Paul is desperate for people to understand how to live as godly people. Why? Because he believes he's talking to people who've truly been born again. Somebody who's been truly saved will love the things that God loves. If you're still in love with your sin and you've had an experience with God, that means God's highly interested in you changing your life. It does not mean you've submitted to the rules of his house. I said it last week, but do you realize how many people in church are sexually promiscuous outside of marriage? So many people. Christians. The church has adopted, has adopted this little uh, tolerance-based idea. That's not going to serve us well on the final day. So verse 2, Paul says, walk in love. Live in love, right? Live in love because when you live in love, that affects other people. He's not telling us this for ourselves. Paul's telling us that when we live a life of love, it will release life to other people. When you love other people, not just accept their sin, I'm not saying that, but when you absolutely and accurately love people, they are changed around you. So the essence of the gospel is never you. It starts with you being fixed in that sense or cured, healed, revived, made new. But then from that point on, the transfer comes from that place into other people's lives. So what we do in our body affects people. Every pain you've ever went through in your life came through someone else. Yes or no? You got a family that's lost a loved one because of a drunk driver? Someone else's choice invaded their reality and brought pain. Yeah? Somebody in the beginning of your life somewhere hurt you enough, bad enough to make you actually reach out to some other culture that changed your life. Drug addiction, alcoholism, chaos. Somebody taught you how to have a bad marriage. Somebody taught you how to be complaining. Somebody taught you how to be bitter. Somebody, somebody had an influence in your life. But do you understand that every good thing that's ever happened to you God usually used somebody else to do it. Yeah? So in other words, what we do doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody around us. So we can't say that this is my right because we don't have any. And every time someone does something, it has an effect in life. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a heathen. Your choices, how you live, that word walk means live. How you live affects people, not just yourself. It affects people. He says, walk in love. Just as Jesus loved us, right, and gave himself for us, 
we should give ourselves to others. He gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Christ's life pleased the Father. And so we can understand from this scripture right here that a, a life that's not lived like Christ has a different stench. You guys know that. I mean, come on. Have you ever met somebody in your life that you could not wait to get away from them? It's like, man, dude, I'm not talking because they just didn't wear deodorant. I'm just saying, like, just the person they were is just like, I just, I got to get away from you. Like, it's just, but, you know, be trying to be polite, you know? See, God is love. When we walk in love, we walk as God would walk. We live as God would live. Amen? People need you to live like God. That's the idea. The whole, the whole purpose of Jesus coming to the earth was to reveal the Father. Yes, he saved us from our sins. Why? So he could reveal the Father. Everything was, was, was done to reveal the Father. But to reveal the Father means that God had to reveal the Son. When the Son is revealed, it also reveals who we are supposed to be. Because the Bible says if we've been born again, we have taken on his nature. The Bible says we've been born again by his seed. That literally means his DNA, his life, his image, right? We talked about this last week in Leviticus. Don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. Everybody thinks that's don't cuss. No, that means that you don't take God's name and live it in a way that he wouldn't live it. Because if you do, you'll be judged. That's what that means, right? So Paul's talking here about how to live as a community. How many, how, many, how many of you guys have been overwhelmed through the book of Ephesians how much Paul puts an emphasis on how we treat other people? I mean, it's staggering. The, the majority of the book is written on how to treat other people. <laughs> and this is, how, this, this is the teaching that comes before spiritual warfare. This is why I don't have any respect for people who treat people terribly, but then want to command the devil. No, because how you treat people is how you treat God. So I don't believe in that. Well, you've never read your Bible. Matthew 25 says, Jesus says, that which you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. Right? That gives good context for where he's going next. See, so why in the middle of chapter five does Paul seem to go off the rails a little bit? You guys have been reading this on your own time, trying to find some direction here. Why does it seem like in the next few verses before he gets to marriage, Paul seems to touch a variety of topics? Because they're all important. And they're all connected to how we live life together, right? You with me? So community, we have the ability to love like no other. But we also have the ability to hurt like no other. If you enter a community or a family, you have the ability to love like nobody else and get close to those people, but you also have the ability to hurt like nothing else. Some of the people in your life that hurt you the most have probably been your closest, closest friends or your family. They have an access to you that nobody else has. Don't they? Yeah. So to care for community... To care for one another is to care for each other, is to care for ourselves. When you take care of the person next to you, you're taking care of yourself. And you're taking care of the, of the Lord. 
and you're taking care of one of his children. Which means you don't get the right to fly off the handle with your emotions. Because that's somebody else's kid. You fly off the handle to my children with no relationship with me, and I'm going to give you something to remember. And it's, it's vice versa. Right? Because we have the ability to hurt one another. We also have the ability to love one another. See, all sin affects everybody in your circle. Everything you've done wrong in your life has affected somebody. The problem usually is, is that the only thing we can see is what everybody's done to us. Why don't we flip it around a little bit and go, wait a minute, how many people have I hurt? And focus on that. Because you have. I have. We all have. This is why we need to walk in love. Why? Because our decisions affect people. Okay? So, verse 3 this seems totally switched. But sexual immorality, all impurity, all greed must not even be named among you because it's not proper for saints. Fornication, uncleanness, greediness, let it not even be named among you. Why? Because if anybody's involved in any of these things, what you're doing is you're crucifying and murdering someone else to be involved in them. You get that? Sexual sin is one of the most dangerous sins you can possibly get into. People say this all the time, that there's no, there's, all sin's the same. That's, the, that's stupid. The Bible says that sexual sin is a different kind of sin. Because it's not only against a sin against everybody else and against God, but it's also a sin against your own body. Like your physical body. Do you understand that? Do you understand this? Do you understand that a woman carries in her body the DNA of every man she's ever slept with for the rest of her life? It never comes out. It joins with the body. Because the Bible is clear. The two shall become one flesh. Which means every time there's sexual sin, there's a giving of yourself to someone else without the covenant behind it, which creates broken chaos in life. And we wonder why we have so much divorce because we teach children basically divorce theology. Now, this is my opinion, but I've, I personally feel like dating is divorce theology because you're teaching people's mindsets, you're forming people's minds that if it doesn't work, just find another one. And subconsciously, they, they spend years in that mentality. Well, when you spend years in a certain mentality, it forms your character. It forms your mindset. It forms who you are as a person. And then when you get married, you're like, well, this isn't working out. You know why it's not working out? It's because two selfish people can't fix two selfish people. 
And marriage is one of the best ways to show you how selfish you really are. <laughs> There's some chuckles there. Nobody was brave enough to say amen, but there were some chuckles. The problem, again, with marriage is, is that everybody else is looking at the other person for being wrong. The problem is, is usually it's here. He says, don't even let it be named among you. Why? Because you bear the image of your father. And the world needs to know what it looks like to be faithful, to be committed. <laughs> because even children know that that type of separation is wrong. And it doesn't matter what age you are. I know people who have been in their 20s and, and, and their parents stayed together just until their kids got out of the house. Like that makes it better. And then they separate and it's just like a knife to the heart. It's like, wait a minute, you, you lied to me all these years. You only stayed together just for me, which means you guys didn't love each other. You know what that says to the human psyche? Well, what makes me think that you actually love me? How can I trust that? If my entire childhood was a lie, how can I trust the love you're saying you have for me? Sin has effect. He says, don't let these things be named among you because it's not fitting for holy people. That word saints means the holy, the, the consecrated, the ones that are set aside to God. Verse three, verse, yeah, four. Don't let filthiness or foolish talking, that word foolish talking is like coarse jesting. It's like putting people down. Don't let it be among you. Nor, don't let it, it's not fitting. But rather give thanks. For what? for the person that you wanna talk bad about. Why? Because they're there by God for you to address things in you, not so that you can pick out the junk in them. Those people in your life that you're supposed to give thanks for are the ones that irritate you the most. Why? Because without them, you wouldn't know you have issues. Because if we were as holy as we thought we were, we would not be moved by them at all because Jesus loves them. Jesus serves them. Jesus is patient with them. Jesus is kind to them. Why aren't we? But give thanks. Give thanks for these people, for these situations, for these things in your life. Don't, let, don't put people down, why? Because you as a saint have power in your word. What you speak over people can, can kill them. Oh my goodness, how many of you guys were spoken, had things spoken over you as a child that you still fight with today because it came through an authority, somebody who had power in your life? And you believed it, and, that's, and you believed it. He says, don't put people down. This is not fitting for the body of Christ. Give thanks for these people, right? What are we in, verse uh, four or five? See, the sins done in the human body are so powerful that they attack and destroy other people. Listen, guys, your sin's never your own. It never just affects you. It's not your choice. It always affects someone else, always. 
Always. That's why I don't, I don't agree with modern culture. I don't agree with you. You may get mad at me, and you may be offended, and you may get upset at me for saying this, but I don't believe it's your choice to kill somebody else. I don't believe in abortion because you affect the life of someone else. You leave it alone, it becomes a baby. I don't care what they say. It's so weird that we can classify bacteria on Mars life, but then a baby grown in a mother's womb is a blob of tissue. So dumb. Go try to destroy an eagle egg. See how far that gets you. Oh, you can't do that. Why? It's a blob of tissue. Because you're going to kill the eagle. No, 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 it's not an eagle. Sin affects people. It affects generations. It affects cultures. I, I, think, it's, I think it's scary that we can't even talk about this for somebody going, oh, my God, what's everybody going to think? We've gotten so dumbed down in culture that we can't even speak truth because we're afraid of what somebody else is going to say about it. I don't understand. If somebody doesn't speak what's true, then everybody else is going to keep living in a lie. Like I don't expect you to receive everything I'm saying, but you're going to hear it, right? Because at least you have to hear. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. They all heard, but three out of four didn't make it. Three seeds out of four didn't make it. That means 75% of the people that hear the gospel of Jesus Christ reject it, ultimately. They ultimately reject it. They all heard, and some of them receive it with joy. But then after a while, they fall away. So did they really receive it? The Bible says remnants will be saved. We preach the gospel that the whole world might be saved, but the, the whole world doesn't always want the gospel. People are drunk on their own opinions. This is a hard segment of scripture we're gonna go through. Listen to this. You know this, Paul says. This is the word of God. Sadly, we don't know this anymore. Sadly, the American church justifies this. Look at that verse. No fornicator, go look at the Greek word in that. It, it means more than just what you think. <laughs> no unclean person, which is filthiness, covetousness, idolaters, it goes into homosexuality. None of, these, none of these have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. But I believe, so are the demons. See, if you believed, you wouldn't do these things because God wouldn't do these things and God didn't do these things. He says none of this enters the inheritance of Christ. You understand that? Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, he says all, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a different translation, all sin or all evil, all bad things begin in the heart or the mind with evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual sin, stealing, lying, insulting people. He says all of that comes from within a man. 
Why do you think Jesus wants to set up residence in the middle of all that? Because he's the only one that can kick it out. He's the only one that can kick it out. And it's an honor and a privilege that God Almighty, who knows no sin and knows no unholiness, would, would choose that kind of heart to say, I want it to be my home. And if you let me in, all this other stuff will go. I'll drive it out. Right? Romans 6.13, don't offer your parts of your body to serve sin. Don't use your bodies to do evil. But offer your body to God as people who have died and now are alive. Offer the parts of your body to God to be used for good. Because the body has power. <laughs> it has a, a place. People think, oh, well, the body's just not. No, it's, 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 it's a connection point to the spirit realm. Your body houses your spirit. Jesus came in body. The whole purpose is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. That God's word became human beings so that human beings could become like God again. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Surely don't you know that the people who do wrong will not get to enjoy God's kingdom. Don't be fooled. There are people who will not get to enjoy God's kingdom. Those who sin sexually those who worship idols, those who commit adultery, men who have sex with other men, those who steal, those who are greedy, those who drink too much, those who abuse and offer insults, and those who cheat, they will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Do you realize that the church has okayed most of this behavior? Why does Paul talk about this? Because he's talking to people who are saved, right? And he's telling them how they should live so that they don't go back to the former way of life. Why? Because as saved people, if you live as an unsaved person, you're jeopardizing your salvation. I know a lot of people believe that you can just say a prayer one time and you're good. If that's the case, why didn't God just take you home right then? You gotta walk it out with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Doesn't it say that? And it says, he that endures to the end will be saved. God says in Revelation 20, whoever overcomes, whoever overcomes, I will, I will be to him a God and he will be to me my son and I will give him the right to the tree of life. Whoever overcomes, what about the people who don't overcome? Guys, theology is not enough to carry you to heaven. It's not. How we live, the choices you make. I talked about this a couple, you know, people want this whole thing to be such a spiritual thing. Like the spirit, there's a fruit of the spirit called self-control that has no fuzzies to it. It has no people bumps. It's, it's, just, it's just the fact that you choose not to. You know it's wrong, so you say No. Because you know what it's going to do to your life, to your family. What I do as a father affects my kids. And what affects my kids is going to affect my grandkids. And what affects my grandkids is going to affect my great-grandkids. And it's going to affect generations that I won't ever see, and I'll be judged for those things. So somebody at some point has got to stand up and say, it stops with me. 
It's going no farther. It's going to stop with me. People don't want the gospel. They don't want the truth. And it's sad because Christ loves them. He says, don't you know, verse Corinthians 6.15, that your bodies are the temple of Christ, the members of Christ. Should you take your, your body of Christ and make it one with a prostitute? No. Don't you know that whoever is joined to, to a prostitute or somebody sexually outside of marriage, you become one body with them? For it's written, the two will become one flesh. Whoever is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with God. Flee sexual immorality and every other sin that a person commits outside the body, but sexual immorality, the person sins against his own person. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, that you have from God and you are not your own? <laughs> my body, my choice. No, it's God's body, his choice. He's the one that made you. You'll stand before him. You know, it's funny to me because people are like, well, I don't even believe in God. That's fine, he believes in you, okay? Let's get that out of the way. Second of all, people who don't believe in God should not fear death. But they do. Why? If you don't believe in God, why do you fear death? Because deep inside of you, you know that there's something else. You can't just be alive to exist in this menagerie of pain and violence and selfishness and sickness of life and, and injustice and taxes and unfairness and then die? That's why people commit suicide because that's how they see life. Because there's no hope if you think life is like that. Right? See, we're the reflections of his nature. Verse five, these people won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We are God's people. <laughs> How we live determines God's definition to other people. God, you know, people say, oh, you know, how God can send people to hell. No, God doesn't send anyone to hell. He sends people who wanted to go to hell to, to hell. The Bible says that in the end, he's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. Like he's not sending them there. He's just, he's just dividing people into what they chose to become. Like, okay, you chose to become a goat, then you go over here. You chose to become a sheep, you come over here. Many times Jesus says, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Remember the story of the talents? The guy that had the one stands before God and he says, I knew you were hard and unjust and mean and, and you gathered where you didn't sow and you took for, he's like, okay, if you want me to be like that, then that's how I'll be to you. That's why I fear for people who have a religious spirit because they're gonna show up to God with a sense of legalism and God's gonna go, okay, I'll judge you by how you judged other people. You better be perfect. Better have your legalism in line. Your theology better be in your family and your life. It scares me. Because if you go that way, then you have to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. And there's only one way to do that, and that's to receive the righteousness of Christ. Because these guys didn't even swallow their own spit when they fasted. And the Bible says, Jesus says that they traveled the world to make one disciple. They would, at any expense, they would go to distant lands just to say one convert. 
Most of them had the entire Bible memorized. Prayed minimum of X amount of times a day. And Jesus says your righteousness has to succeed. It has to exceed this. So if you want to live a life of legalism, then that's your standard. I can't do it. So I need his righteousness. Because his righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And it's imputed by faith. Amen? All right, verse 6. He says, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words because the, of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. What he's saying there, he says, don't let anybody tell you that the things that I just told you are okay. Because the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you know how many, how many Christian people that I know that cannot understand the wrath of God? And if it wasn't in the New Testament, they would be like so justified in their theology. The wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. It doesn't say sons of the devil. It says sons of disobedience. Do you, have, you know how many people I, I know that claim to be sons, but their lives are full of disobedience? Rebellion. Against any authority. The only thing they'll submit to is what, is what they hear in their own head. And yet they'll admit that their minds aren't completely re renewed. It's so funny to me. I need people around me. I need the word of God in my life. Because without a, without a check and balance system, I'll get out of whack. Verse 7. Don't be partakers with them. Don't live life with them. Stay away from them. Do you realize when Paul talks about how he says if people do these things in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, he says if people live a certain way, if they do these things, if they're drunkards, if they're this, if they're that, don't even eat dinner with them. It makes it tough when the holidays come around. I know, I'm sorry. So again, you've got to ask yourself uh, a little different. How much of the word of God can I disobey and still be right with him? It makes you look bad. I know that. It makes you look arrogant. It makes you look closed-minded. makes you look religious. makes you look a lot of things. But Jesus said the people of the world will hate you. They will. Don't be surprised when it happens. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make disciples. Jesus can be your friend. I'm here to make disciples. That's my call. That's my duty. That's your duty. Right? See, in Luke 8, 12, I talked about the parable of the sower. It says, those, the, the seed that was fell upon the wayside are those that hear, but then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. Let me ask you this. How many sermons have you sat under where your opinion overrode what you heard in Scripture and you didn't realize what was actually happening is, is that the devil had access to your mind and he pulled out of your mind the very thing God was trying to give you instantly? See, so you'd be like, well, the devil can't touch me. No, he has access to your head. 
He does. It's your job to renew your mind, and it's your job to keep the devil out. It's your job to obey Scripture and to look at things the way God looks at them. Jesus says that the devil takes out of their heart the word of God. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Every time you sit in a sermon, there are two powers that be in your life that, you're, that's, that are trying to influence you. The Holy Spirit and the devil trying to pull out of your head the things that God's convicting you of. And guys, I've seen it. 25 years of pastoring, I've seen people sit under the uh, teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching, and they end up doing the exact opposite of everything they're taught. Somewhere the devil got in and stole something out of their brain. What he's going to steal is the life and the word of God that God's trying to give you. We have to hang on to that. Verse 9, or 8, sorry. You were once darkness. It doesn't say you were once in darkness. It says you were once darkness. <laughs> Do you get that? You were once darkness. You embodied darkness. You were the sum of darkness. You were the, 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 the mass of darkness in earth. But now... You are light. Jesus says you are the light of the world. Isn't that funny to me? Have you ever read that and thought, well, no, he said he's the light of the world. He also said you're the light of the world. Which one's true? Both. You are light, so live as children of light. Don't let this stuff live in your life. You following me? All right, don't partake in these things. Verse nine. For the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. Why would we need goodness, righteousness, and truth? So that we can be holy and have people come listen to us? No, it's for other people. It's for other people. Are you following what I'm saying? Let's go to the next one. See, it takes community, finding out what the, what the will of the Lord is. It takes community to expose you. It takes community to reveal what the will of the Lord is. Why do we need the five-fold ministry? That's why I, I don't want to get to a point in my life where I don't need people around me. I need you to operate in your gift. I need to hear what God is saying through you because he's not going to speak to me like that. That's why we need prophets. That's why we need evangelists. That's why we need teachers. We need people who can give a part of God to us that God's not going to give on our own. Why? Because each, each person has been given a portion of the Spirit of Abba. We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but we get parts and gifts that are different from each other so that we're dependent upon one another. So that you can't do it without me and I can't do it without you. He says, finding out what is acceptable is good. To the Lord. That verse 10, or trying to please the Lord, right? How many want to know what's acceptable to God? <laughs> Me too. Me too. All right, look. Exposure is for everyone, but it's only received by the hungry. And when people live life together, you get exposed and these things start to happen in life. And this is why we shouldn't have these issues in Christianity. How many of you guys have ever known a church that fell apart because of sexual sin? Because people know it's wrong. 
for some reason, it's only wrong for the pastor. <laughs> Everybody else can be involved in pornography and lust, and, and that's okay. No, it's not, because Jesus, yeah, I may get double judgment, but that doesn't make me better than you. You have the same standards as I have. <laughs> the only difference is I get judged twice. That's just, it's not fun. I don't like that. Verse 12, or 11, sorry. It's shameful, or have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose those things. This is the exposure of community. When, when you're involved with people and sin comes up, guess what? You're supposed to what? How many like being exposed? Yeah, nobody. <laughs> but it says to expose them. Like, well, it's only, oh, I, know what it, I know what that verse means now. It means only when you expose everybody else. That's what it means. Right? Only when you're the one doing the exposing. It doesn't come back the other direction at all, does it? See, I'll tell you this. Do you know how I can tell spiritual maturity? It's somebody's willingness to be exposed. And when somebody comes to you and actually has like a, a legitimate thing that they say, look, you need to stop this. That somebody is like, hey, thank you for telling me that. I really, I really, I appreciate you loving me enough to say something to me. I've had people walk up that don't know me and try to expose me, and I'll always say thank you for caring enough to say something. I got called on the carpet in my own church by another pastor who did not know me at all, and he ripped me a new one. And I sat there and took it for like 15 minutes, and finally I looked at him and I said, Brother, thank you for loving me enough to be concerned for my life, and I know that you'll continue to pray for me and love me through all this that you think you see in my life. So thank you. And then I went and took what he said to a bunch of other people that I am submitted to, and I said, this is what was said. Do you guys agree with this? And everybody said, no, we don't agree with that at all. Okay, thank you. You see how that works? Because it doesn't matter what people think. Well, you're always open for correction. At least you take it. You may not... You just you take it back to the Lord and the people you do walk with. Because light will show these things as they really are, right? Verse 12, Jesus says that people who love the light come so that their deeds can be what? Exposed. Jesus says people who love the light come to it so that their deeds, their works can be exposed. Jesus says that people who love the light come to it so their how many of you guys ever tried to hide something? You know what you're doing? You're only protecting the enemy in your life. Every time you hide something, you're protecting the enemy in your life. I know fathers that demand certain things of their children, but they hide things in their life. Because they know they're, not, they know they're wrong, but they expect their kids to not do what they're doing. That's hypocrisy. You with me? John 3.20, everyone who loves the light comes to it. You follow me? Next verse. 14. They says, he says, awake, rise from the dead, Christ will give you life. That's what I talked about this morning, John 11. 
you can't get out from the dead unless Jesus has called your name. Paul's writing to these people saying, look, you have no business being in darkness and death because God has called you out of that. Guys, listen. The power of obedience in your life is absolutely amazing. The power of self-control is amazing. If you can stay under the influence of God and just choose to do what he asks you to do without all the other emotions in it, eventually over time what happens is, is those things lose hold on you. And it's not this big spiritual reality anymore. It's just you walking in obedience. People, some people call that legalism if you're not born again. But if you're born again, you call it love. Because Jesus says, if you love me, do what I tell you to do. In Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me, Lord, and you're not doing what I tell you to do? <laughs> so pornography or whatever, if you just tell yourself no and stop doing it for a while, eventually it begins to lose its grip on you. The power of obedience. And eventually you begin to realize, this is awesome, I don't need this in my life. Does it make sense? Some of us are waiting for this massive spiritual experience and God's saying, no, I really want you to just do what I told you to do. It's very practical. He says, why? He says, verse, verse 15, walk wise, like not as fools, but wise. Why? Verse 16, because you need the time redeemed in your life. The days you're living in are evil. It takes God to redeem souls in time. How many of you want your time redeemed in your life? How many of you want the years restored in your life that the locust ate? You know what? You can't do that on your own. It takes God. It takes God redeeming the time. God can do in nine years to, an, to a submitted person what, what an unsubmitted person can't accomplish in 60. That's, it blows my mind as a pastor. It blows my mind because I see people who are so hungry and so on fire for God, and they're so obedient, and they're so submissive, and they're so correctable, and they're on their face. And man, in a, in a few short years, they surpass people that I've known that have been in the faith for 25, 35, 45 years. It's amazing to me. I'm like, what? Put yourself in my shoes. You go from one counseling session to the next, and it's just the, the, the contrast is absolutely incredible. You're walking in one person, they're fighting you in every conversation. They're justifying what they're doing. They're trying to make excuses for it and everything. And the next person comes in, they're just like, yeah, yeah, man, let's do that. And then you watch the growth and the fruit and everything. And then the other person is still, it's just like, what in the world? It's amazing that God is able to redeem time for those who stay at his feet. You with me? Next verse. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to try to go through this very quickly. The majority of Christianity is concerned about the unknown will of God while ignoring the known will of God. I have people come to me all the time and say, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. And what they're talking about is this ethereal, spooky, spiritual, woo thing about what they're called to. And they spend the entire portion of their existence like, I don't know what the will of God is for my life, while ignoring the will of God for their life. Because the Bible only, it doesn't really talk a whole lot about the unknown will of God. There's only a couple places where he talks about, like, 
what to do if you don't know what the will of God is. But the majority of what it talks about with the known will of God are things that most Christians don't do. They ignore all that to figure out what their calling is or their gifting. Does this make sense? It's kind of like getting tripped up on speaking in tongues while you're watching demonic movies. <laughs> it's really stupid. You're ignoring one for the sake of like, you know, fishing at that little gnat, you know, while swallowing the camel like Jesus talks about. So he says, he says you need to know the will of God for your life. So the known will of God, 2 Corinthians 8.3. All right? It's, it's, so this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says of people giving into the church and financially, he says, they gave according to their means so that I can testify that this is true. And they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the will of the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what Paul's saying is, is that in this context, these people sacrificed their financial and physical well-being for someone else as unto the Lord and then unto us. He says the will of God was for them to give to us. And they did it. That's a will of God. Part of it, of the will of the Lord, is for you to sacrifice for someone else. To give of your excess to those who are in need. Does, does this make sense to you? I love it when someone comes up to me in the church and says, hey, I just want to anonymously bless the poorest person in the church for Christmas. And they hand me an envelope. Go find them and give it to them. So cool. Because I know these people are saved. And they're in the will of God. The will of God is to be a giver. True or not. For God so loved the world, he... You want to be like your father? Yeah. That's the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? Be poured out for somebody else. Are you doing that? Well, no, I just want to know what my gifting, my calling is, to be poured out for somebody else. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether kings as supreme to governors, to them that are sent by him for punishment, for evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that in well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not using your liberty as maliciousness, but using your liberty to serve people and God. Honor all men, love the brothers, fear God, and honor the king. That's the will of God for your life. This is the will of God, he says, to submit yourself to governing powers in your life. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about honoring and, and, and serving and submitting to your, to your spiritual leaders, but people don't do that. It's like this wrestling match with spiritual powers of, of like, oh, I don't agree with that pastor, so I'm not going to submit. Do you realize that Hagar was told by Jesus to go back to Sarah? who was abusing her, he says, go and submit yourself back to her. Did you ever read that? She ran away because the spiritual and the physical oppression in her home, Sarah, the woman of faith, treating someone like garbage in her home so much so that she leaves, Jesus shows up and he says, go back and submit to her. 
We only want an authority to submit to if we like them. What's the will of God for my life? To submit to governing powers. Do I like where all my tax money goes? No. <laughs> but I pay my taxes. Do I like where certain things happen? Do I like certain ideas? Do I, do, I, do I like the fact that if I have to go south on 65, that I barely get up to 55 miles an hour before I have to go back down to 35 in the next town? Do I like that idea? No. It takes forever to go south on 65. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. What's the will of God for my life? For this is the will of God. Can't get any more blunt than that. Your sanctification. Being made like Christ. That you should, and also that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God, verse four. That each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. That's the will of God for your life. To know how to control your body in holiness and honor. That means you need to treat people right. That's the will of God for your life. You see what I'm saying? People get so tripped up on this ethereal idea of the will of God. Should I go to Africa, Asia, or China? I don't know. You should treat your neighbor right and give to people in need, and you should control yourself when you're angry and upset and bitter. And some of us still have some things to work on in that area, like me. I almost got out of my car yesterday and gave somebody a piece of my mind. But that wouldn't have been Jesus. So thank God I stayed in the car. But I had to tell him I'm sorry because the feeling I felt wasn't right. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself to every ordinance, right? Oh, we already read that. Did we read that? No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Y'all 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 guys keep me right here. Galatians 1:4. Jesus gave himself for our sins that he may deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God. What's the will of God? To stay away from the evil Jesus set you free from. It's simple, guys. It's not that complicated. Ephesians 6:5. Servants, workers, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, with singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not as with eye service or men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. When you go to work your job, instead of complaining about it, serve that person. That's the will of God for you. Well, I don't like my boss. God loves him. First Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. What does that mean? It means the things that you can't control are the will of God. The things that you've done to yourself, that's not the will of God. The sin, the depravity, the unrenewed mind, all that stuff, that's not the will of God. But the things that you can't control that happen to you, it may not have been his perfect plan. There's certain things he allows. You still need to learn to give thanks in it. Because the power of thanksgiving will transform your pain into praise. It will. And it will release God into your scenario to make you more like him. 
and it will free you from the pain you've received. 1 Peter 4, 1, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, for he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Anybody like that verse? He that suffers in the flesh ceased from sin. That he should no longer live the rest of his life or in the time of the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Simple. First John 2.15, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of the world. The world passes away, the lust thereof, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Do you know why Mary was so highly favored? I know I like, should be preaching a Christmas sermon, but... This is my meager stab at it. But you know why Mary was so highly favored? She, God shows up and she's a 13, 12 year, 13, 15 year old girl. Highly favored of God, he says. Does that mean she was out there performing signs and wonders and had this per No, you know, you know why she was highly favored? Because she lived her every day of her life in subjection and humility and grace and honor with what she was given when she had to go collect water and carry it back on her head three times a day, she never complained. And we have dishwashers and we still complain. That's why she was favored by God because the menial tasks of life she was faithful in. We try to hyper-spiritualize this entire thing. God loves it when you live your life with thanksgiving the hard stuff, the difficult stuff. What's the unknown will? How do you figure that out? And there's only two verses that I can really tell you. <laughs> Romans 8, 27. Whoever the Holy Spirit who searches all things and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, he will make intercession for the saints and pray for them and things they don't understand or what they don't know what to pray for. So in other words, all the stuff that, you know, you don't know that the ethereal, what's the will of God? It's just pray in the Holy Spirit, pray in the Spirit. And he'll pray those things for you. He'll figure that out, right? But he doesn't tell you he's going to tell you. He's just, it's just always just going to happen. And when it happens, that's the will of God. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what the good and perfect acceptable will of God is. There's a condition to that one, the unknown will. You don't have your mind renewed, you're not going to know the will of God. What's the mind of, what's, what's, what's the mind of Christ? What? Take care of somebody else more than you take care of yourself. I'll tell you this. Be concerned about somebody else, how you live your life. Stay out of this type of sin that hurts everybody else around you, and you'll naturally find yourself doing the will of God. Real quick, don't destroy yourself by getting drunk, but let the Spirit be your life. You understand this? Do you guys understand that even heathen, secular people like, I read an article one time about a, a, a secular scientist who actually went back into the effects of alcohol in the human body. And alcohol comes from uh, an Arabic word called al-kul. And, and that word is derived from a demon that they used to worship that sucked the essence out of a human body. And the same way that alcohol strips the essence out of herbs and extracts and pulls out the important things and separates them, even secular people will tell you 
And other people who serve other things, including witches and warlocks, will tell you that it dilutes the human spirit. And it makes you susceptible to another host. That the original idea was that if you got so drunk that, it, that you were completely out of control, that another spirit could come in and take host over your body. Which is why people don't realize what they do when they black out. Because it's not them doing it anymore. They've literally opened themselves to a demonic power that's living through their corpse. He says, don't do that. But be filled with the Spirit. Why does he say be filled with the Spirit? Because it's, the idea is the same. They understood this. If you're drunk, you're demonically possessed by a devil. But if you're filled with the Spirit, you're divinely possessed by God. Either way, you're a host. Does this make sense? Either way, you're a host. And I, I, you know, I, people look at Christians and say, you're a fool. You know, it's like being a host. You, you, you don't have a choice. You're going to be a host of something. You don't have a choice. You were meant to be possessed, period. And the guy's standing on this New York street corner, and he says, I'm a fool for Christ on one side of his little billboard. And the other side says, whose fool are you? Because you're somebody's. We're all somebody's. We all follow somebody. We all have opinions based on somebody or something. You're going to be a host. Paul says, use your member to be filled with the Spirit. Be a host of God. With me? Next verse. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to your hearts to your Lord. I don't have time to go into this, but the power of worship and the power of positivity is absolutely impressive. Impressive. So many research, so much science done just from speaking over fruit <laughs> and it's caused massive differences. Kindergarten teachers setting one apple on one side of the room and another apple on the other side, and they speak life over one and death over the other. Within a few hours, they're showing, you know, the one that's being spoken death shows brown and, and decay inside almost instantly. Speak to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms. Live in love towards one another. Understand your lives. What Paul's saying in this segment, I know it's a lot, but what Paul's saying is in, in this segment is, listen, how you live affects people, so affect them well. Don't let your, your bodies be hosts of, of criticalness and, and coarse jesting and, and defaming one another and sexual sin. Don't let that become part of the body. Because if one member brings it in, the rest of them begin to suffer because your sin does not just affect you. That's why it seems so random of him. He only had so much paper to work with, so he's hitting a lot of topics very quickly. Next verse. Giving thanks always for all things. Is that what, is it your Bible say that? Yeah, guys, guys, we gotta retrain this. Your first response should be, thank you, Lord. That was hard, but thank you, Lord. That was painful, but thank you, Lord. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this, but thank you, Lord. Give thanks to God. Let's go to the next verse. Submitting one another in the fear of the Lord. This is the segue into marriage that we'll talk about when we get back. Submitting to one another. Listen to this, and we'll close. Submission releases you from your own opinion of yourself. because it gives you somebody else speaking into your life. Why and what? What he just said, speak 
to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you speak over people who they are and you submit to what they're telling you, then the, what, what has been spoken over you in the past begins to fall off. See, every pain and, and doubt and difficulty and self-hate and everything else that was spoken over you in your life, the reason that had power is because you submitted to somebody's opinion of you. You did. It's amazing that we don't want to submit to the church culture, but we'll submit to every devil that speaks to us about how bad we are or how bad our wife is or how bad our kids are or how bad the government is or how bad this is or how bad that is. We'll submit to that. We'll believe all that. We'll believe all that garbage. But we won't, we won't submit to one another. We have preferences and people we like better, so we'll create our little cliques. Submission will release you from your own opinion of yourself, which is always skewed. But if there's no submission to others, then the only submission that you'll have is the one that you have given to yourself. Community is God's safeguard to deception. Submit to one another in the fear of God. Why would we need to submit to one another in the fear of God? Why is fear even placed in that verse? Remember we talked about the spirit of fear of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, the consequences of what come after, the ahari. We need to submit to one another because of what the enemy is trying to do in each one of our lives. And we need to guard one another and submit to one another for the attacks that are coming to our life. So we can say, no, that's a lie over your life. God didn't make you to be that. He made you to be more than a conqueror. He made you to be life. He made you to be peace. He made you to be joy. He made you, he gave you his spirit. You are free. You're not dead. You're not dead. You're, you're, you're not damned. Submit to one another, singing over one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Encourage one another. Lift each other up, right? This is the idea. Submission, there's power in that. Every time you submit to one another, you gain relationship. Jesus submitted to his Father's will and to the enemy and saved the whole world by it and created a relationship with us. Was it right for Jesus to submit to your sin and take it upon himself? No, but it brought life. Was it fun for Jesus to submit to the cross? No, but it brought relationship. Sometimes God has you submit to hard authorities or hard people because he wants to show you what's in you. But it's easy to be able to look and say, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And if we have relationships like that, then our, everything else in our life is going to fall apart. This is why he says this right there, because it's, he, he immediately in verse 21 or 22 goes into marriage. Because if we can't have this submission to one another and this healthy whole relationship, speaking life over one another and not involving ourselves in sexual sins, then we're going to have issues in marriage. And if you have issues in marriage, you're going to have issues in warfare, you're going to have issues in life, you're going to have issues in work, you're going to have issues everywhere. Does this make sense to you? Well, you can stand. I, I, I prayed, like, this was really hard for me this week because I... There's so, I could have preached probably a, 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 an entire sermon on one or two verses and, and, and really tried to unpack this a little differently. But 
I'm hoping you're getting what Paul's saying here, and I hope you understand that you can live this life because you have the Spirit of God inside of you. And if you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, then everything I just said is just going to seem like legalism. Just rules and regulations. I pray that's not the case for you. I pray that you understand that, that we need the fear of God in our life and we need to understand there's consequences to how we live and that our sin doesn't just affect us. So I'm asking you, please, by the Holy Spirit of, of self-control, of obedience, hold your tongue, speak life over people. Don't allow sin into your camp. And if you do, immediately repent. Hold fast the relationships with your, with your family, with your, with your husband and your wife. Dig in and stop looking at what's wrong and start speaking over people the things that the Lord wants to have happen in their life. Stay away from putting other people down. Stay away from putting yourself down. Create a culture and a community of submission around you. Understand what the will of the Lord is for your life, to live a godly life, to live peaceably, to go to work, not complain, to be thankful, to serve your boss just like you're serving Jesus. That's the will of God for us. It's amazing how many people actually begin to touch when you do that. And it's amazing how much it'll actually be a blessing to you in your life. It's amazing how fast you'll get brought up in promotion because people will see the difference between somebody who just has to be there versus somebody who wants to be there. The blessings of God will come when these things happen in your life. And it comes by simple obedience. But please understand the main thing what Paul's trying to say here is that how you live, how you treat people, determines your ability to be able to reflect God and properly war in the Spirit. Are you with me on this? Father, we need you. I know there may be some people that disagree with things here. We all can agree that we need more of Christ. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need more of you in their life. And Father, we have to have the grace of God in these situations. But for right now, Lord, I ask and I pray that, that any area of sin in people's lives right now would just be brought up to you right now just where they sit. That you would forgive them for any unrighteousness according to your word if they confess it to you. that critical censorious spirits, Father, would be forgiven and that would be released and that sexual sins would be repented of, that drunkardness and idolatry and greed would be removed from our lives and a spirit of thankfulness would come upon us, whether we have much or whether we have little. We can learn to give thanks and to praise and to speak psalms and hymns over one another because our lives are inter intricately connected through the blood of Jesus. So I pray for homes, I pray for marriages, I pray for things to be healed, to be restored. 
Father, I pray that this prayer would work even after we've forgotten that it's been prayed. That it would have continual work in these people's lives because you love them, you care for them, and you're desperate for them. We ask these things in Jesus' name.